latent another fresh graduate caught me smoking he opened the wire mesh door and waked me in the face then dragged me shaking and apologizing out of the cell i remember thinking at the time i'm not going to write about this i'm not going to tell anyone if i do i will make it a black comedy how do you even write about being humiliated without making yourself the heroic underdog the sense of absment i feel is too bitter to become melodrama i thought when you are humiliated and broken writing wouldn't fix it when they finally let us go back to the cell block the entire contents of our cell were scattered on the ground i found my clothes under a bag of tomatoes and cucumbers and they would be and they would confiscated our metal coffee pot and our improvised tuna can ashtray but they hadn't touched the box or my manuscript that was ahmed nagi reading from reading and writing in an egyptian prison which appeared in Catherine Hall's translation in the Believer magazine. This uh, is episode 64 of the Bulak podcast, and this episode is sponsored by Lockwood Press, which is pleased to announce the appearance of Karim James Abouzaid's The Poetics of Adonis and Yves Bonfoy, Poetry as Spiritual Practice. I am Marsha Linksquayle, and I am joining as usual from Rabat, Morocco. Ursula is in Amman, and joining us from Las Vegas uh, is Ahmed Negi. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Ahmed is a writer, journalist, art critic, podcaster, and as you see in, I think, every one of his recent bios, a criminal. His popular first novel, Rogers, appeared in 2007 and was translated to Italian by Barbara Benini. His novel, second novel, Using Life, which led to someone's blood pressure um, issues and also uh, a, a trial and, and ended up with uh, Ahmed in, in being imprisoned for violating public morality. It was translated to English by Ben Korber. Um, after his prison sentence, He brought out a collection of short stories, The Mystery of the Split Festival in 2016. And last year, he brought out two books, a speculative fiction novel and The Tigers for My Room and the uh, memoir, Rotten Evidence, Reading and Writing in Prison. He's won a number of prizes, including a Penn Barbie Freedom to Write Award, an Open Eye Award, and he is currently City of Asylum Fellow at the Black Mountain Institute in Las Vegas. Welcome. Thank you for coming on and persevering, uh, Ahmed. Thank you, Marisha. Thank you for uh, the details, deep introduction. And uh, thank you for having me in one of my favorite uh, podcasts. Um, I also want to start by thanking you and Ursula for what are you been doing for, for years for spreading uh, Arabic literature and bonding bridges between language and literature really uh, what you have been doing in, in, in the last, I think, like more than 10 years is impressive and uh, one of the great innovation um, uh, to support like Arabic literature and international 
Thailand. So thank you again for having me. No, thank you. I remember you you emailed me in 2010 and it was uh, I, I and it was one of, about my my silly blog Arab Lit and it was it was a huge oh, boost to what I did. So thank you. Our job to cover like such a great uh, project. And I've been trying to remember Ahmed when was the last time that we saw each other and I think it was years and years ago in Cairo for a lunch at Estoril. I don't think I- We've seen each other since then, right? That was like in a different, what feels like a different era. Yeah, for sure. I believe this was uh, after I get out of the prison. No, I think it was actually when the the trial was uh, ongoing oh, and yeah, we yeah, didn't yeah. have any the idea that it would, ago. we didn't, and uh, none of us thought that it would have, uh, that it would result in a prison sentence. Yeah, I remember yeah. this now. Yeah. No, and then I, I was already I had already left Cairo and I was visiting. I was doing I was writing an article about writers in Cairo and what things were like there, uh uh as things were already getting uh less free. Um it was already a couple years after the Arab Spring and uh and then I left and then I had the shock of the news uh of the of the verdict. Um, and, uh, so it both feels like a long time ago and not that long ago. Um, and of course a lot has happened for you since, and that's what one, one of the books that you've written is the account, all right, of your, of your time in prison. I, I, I thought it was, uh, lovely, the excerpts that were published in the believer, really interesting. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, uh, also talking about this English translation, it's been done by Catherine Holtz. She really did a great job in, in, in the translation and the editing. Uh, yeah, yeah, I thought the translation was limpid. Yeah, I was really interested in in one of the discussions you did, or maybe in a couple of them. One was an interview you gave where you said that you hate prison literature, and then a second was in a video where you said that nobody's writing prison literature in Egypt anymore, that they leave prison and write Facebook statuses. And I, I just wondered about the sort of the genesis of this book, what, why you decided you, you wanted to create it, what kind of prison literature you wanted to see. Um, well, yeah, so the first thing that also like uh, everything is changing in Egypt in the last like seven or ten years and we have uh, a huge crackdown on freedom of speech, but um, and the number of young people and old people who would be jailed because, like, they expert their opinion, they expert their opinion on, on social media is huge. Although, what we say, what we see always is that people entering the prison, there will be like a campaign uh, supporting them. Uh, the campaign will need kind of letters or testimony from jailed people to publish it and and to get people attention to support the campaign. So suddenly you are in a moment where like prison writing, especially in Egypt case, is part of their like political struggle to gain their freedom. And uh, then when they are out, some some of them like will will have flashback. Memories and 
and fighting uh, scenes or details from what they have been uh, 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 from from what they had before. But all of this doesn't develop into like a literature theme as we used to have in in Egyptian uh, literature, because like you remember. <clears throat> A lot of writers, for example, before would go to the prison and they went out of the prison and they will write their testimony about what's happening in, in the prison. But this doesn't exist anymore. And on the other hand, what we have is a lot of Facebook posts and uh, a lot of prison people, letters that will be sneaked out of the prison. Mm. And Paul's is still kind of writing, maybe still kind of literature, but it doesn't reach. Uh, uh, the the experience of like writing a whole thing is like sitting um, on the table and remembering and reimagining, reinventing what happened and trying to analyze it and, and writing it. Just like a writing that's been produced under the pressure of of the current moment, you know? Um, so this is something that stopped me after I went out. I started to search and look for like books about prisons in, in the last 10 years. And guess what? All what I found was one book called Mushagib uh, Fissig, which was hilarious. Mm. It's just like this guy who's like Bruce regime and Bruce CC, uh, but he was jailed. <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious, really. But he was jailed for one year because like, he published something against the prime minister, and uh, and when he was in the prison, he started to 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 get close to Muslim Brotherhood and Islamistic, to snitch on them. You see, and then when he went out of the prison, he wrote this book to as an evidence to to tell like the regime and national security that even when you sent me to the prison, I still love prison to Sisi. I still fighting with you against Muslim Brotherhood, and uh, and and this is like my account of what happened. So of course I was like so angry of discovering this, and I started to think uh, what kind of approach I could go towards writing about my experience, uh, and it, it went as I said in the book. Like I went like through through the old like Egyptian literature. literature and I found um, my 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 experience has nothing to do with, with with their experience, because like you remember in Egypt or in Iraq or in other Arab state, usually when writer will be sentenced, it will be because of their political activities. So you will have, for example, Sunal Ibrahim. He will be present for five years because of his political activities. When you are in the prison because of your political activities, prison become part of your like um, political struggle. Like you are in the prison, but you know one day you will get out and and you will continue your fight with, with the authority, and you will be in the prison with your um, fellow and colleague in, in in the political organization or in the political party. But in my case, I was. I was alone. It wasn't like a political uh, party that we are fighting for something. I just was alone. I'm a lonely writer in the prison surrounding by a regular uh, criminal. Um, um, 
and also like I didn't have uh, a big fight like I wasn't planning to to take the authority or or I was in prison or sentenced because of like my political writing so that's all of this like pushed me towards like writing Herzen Kamkim as it is um, mm. as more of uh, analyzing the literature of uh, the prison literature and and trying to come uh, with something that is with something that is more relevant to our moment and more close to my experience. But did, you started writing though also while you were in prison, right? You were because you describe that and your concern about how to make sure that that writing wasn't destroyed or wasn't confiscated. I wasn't. I wasn't planning to write about the prison when I was in the prison. Okay. Uh, but but what I had that I had two things that I was working on. I had I usually have a diary book. Like I usually will sleep and next to me there will be like a black notebook. Uh, I'm I'm writing my dreams for years. Uh, I'm writing my diaries like any like you know like regular normal journals. Uh, so I had this and I had a, a project of a novel that I was working with. So I was afraid at any moment they, they could like break into our cell and they could find it and they could seize it. So this what I was afraid afraid uh, afraid about, and that pushed me like in, in my journal in my diary, for example, I started not to write about anything that's happening in the cell or at the prison. I was just like writing about. Uh, some ideas or some notes notes about the books that I am reading or I continue writing my dream which is like um, dreams uh, sticking a big part in, at the book um, uh, so yeah that's it one of the things I was really interested in is how concerned you were about sort of the privacy and shielding the identity of people that you wrote about in the memoir. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it's... Can you can you just talk about your... Mm-hmm. Sure, because it's one of the things uh, that make me angry and, uh, and, and have a negative impression towards like Egyptian prison literature. Because many of the Egyptian prison literature, it's not about prison, it's, 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 it's about gossip or or uh, social class observation you know like you will be a writer from a middle class or above and suddenly you are in the prison and in the prison you have the first opportunity to like interact with people from low class people from criminal background and so on and writer will use those people's story without like permission, without anything, and writing all these details, and um, this thing's been growing lately, uh, even like in 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 prison testimony. I remember one of the things that pushed me towards writing uh, written evidence in my research after I went out. I found that um, Omar Hazak, uh, the poet who was like present for like two or three years because of his political activity. He was protesting against the administration of the Alexandria public, uh, uh, public city. 
Um, um, and um, he, after he went out of the prison, he wrote like several articles at Safir uh, newspaper. And I was shocked when I read, I read this article. It was like one of the worst things that I have ever read about like prison. Because uh, you could get the sense how he's like separating himself from the other inmate and uh, looking uh, them down. And even like he will talk about like small details in, in the prison, like he, at some cells he will have a man horse, a kid's horse, like a kid's who will sell their body for other inmates, for like cigarette or, or, or food or whatever. And sometimes you will have gay people uh, inside the prison. So he was mentioning in one of his articles how one of his success, how he led a campaign inside the cell to kick out one of the guys that he found in the cell sleeping with other guy. So, uh, so this 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 a little bit stopped me, and 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 I was like, this is so bad writing about the prison, and it has a lot of problem into it, and that's what pushed me in my writing to to be sure of other people that I met their privacy. I I always making sure not to mention any names, any details about uh, uh, their case. Uh, if I had to, I would just like mention the interaction, you know, like I like this guy, this famous guy who was like, I, I couldn't mention the story because like the interaction with him was one of the things that pushed me towards like uh, believing or seeing myself as a writer, you know, that any source. The guy he was mm. who was crying at night at the bathroom because he read a book. He, yes, uh, yes. <laughs> Uh, so it will be something like this details and more focus about my interaction with them without uh, revealing their their identity and and I think there's I mean what you do is you turn um, this experience in prison like you say into also a reflection I mean you're there because of your writing and you're writing while you're there, and then you're trying to figure out what story to tell about it when you get out. And it becomes this very multifaceted reflection on like, what does writing do? What does reading do? What kind of a writer do you want to be? Um, the interactions that you do describe, which are sort of around books with the other inmates about like what they like to read or reactions that they have to books or how you get books into the prison. Um, I listened to the talk that you gave about the book, um, which we'll put in the show notes, um, this, this very nice uh, talk that was recorded where you described uh, the, the way that the prison guard had to figure out without reading books, just by the titles and the covers, which ones he would let in. And the fact that he outsourced that work to to a prison inmate who did read, this and nice the fact that you then figured out how to a cooperation, like you know, like international comedy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he found a local yes, contractor, yes. Um, and, <laughs> and, get, and then you yeah, figured out you, get, you, you don't get any pay. <laughs> 
Right, right. Yes. Yeah. Well, and then you figured out how to get that person to let some of the books you wanted in, um, again, in exchange for books. I mean, these are these, these kinds of stories are just like right up my alley. Um, like so sort of like moving and the way you tell them funny also um i don't know if they were much of this was funny at the time but uh there's a lot of um grace and humor in how you tell the stories yes i yeah yeah like using using uh, sarcasm is is very fundamental and 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 part of like my writing um, and in dealing with, with such topic, writing about prison, I was always afraid of the resistance in, in prison, in prison literature, uh, just like writer, when writing, writers writing about prison literature, they, I don't know, like, but I believe in most of writing, like, there is a sense of depicting yourself as a victim and the hero at the same time. And um, and this like make the whole writing the whole thickest will be like swimming in in melodrama or tragedy too, you know. So I wanted always to break this like like um, uh, to break this tune and and to not put the reader into this tragic mood uh, because this tragic and melodramatic mood just like flatten everything about the whole experience yeah it's a real it's a horrible experience it's painful but at least inside it there is there is other things and using sarcasm was my way to try to discover and approach uh other things that's happening in, into the prison like for example uh, uh the authority and and the hierarchy of of uh, of the relation between the warden and the other soldier and police officers and the inmates, um, and sarcasm helped me a lot. As as the story you mentioned is like to discovering like you will write this story about how the police officer is not able to decide which book, so he will outsource it. And and you see like you have the life the daily drama of the prison. And by depicting or writing this story, you are reflecting the daily life inside the prison and try to discovering um, the hierarchy of relation at it and how you you could manipulate it for for your benefit. Yeah, I also liked how much you, when you talked about the prison library. Like, I had no idea what a library is like in an Egyptian prison, what's available, what the system is for getting books. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, I think what I discovered that according to the laws that any Egyptian prison must have like library and room, a room for what they call like social activities or something like that. <laughs> Which, um, the, the old, the old prisoners that I, that I met, they told me like before, before the revolution, how this was like very important and active. And I remember it because like I used to cover, I remember like culture ministry, for example, they used to, to organize like, uh, uh, plays and music and dancing show inside the prison. 
you know. Uh, but all of this was before revolution. This all of this this shows like stop doing it after the revolution, and everything started to become so tight. Uh, but the library is still there, and you could notice when you enter it how it's it's been so old. Like I guess it, it it's there since Kisties or or seventies. I think Sikistie because I noticed a lot of book uh, from Sikistie. Um, and basically also it depends on the police officers, the warden mood, like in many prisons, of course, there is no library, there is no access to library, or the library will be closed. Uh, so it's getting different from the from prison to prison and depending on the police officer. In our case, like also, it depends on the police officer mood. Sometimes, like I remember when I entered, we had a one-hour break every day. Uh, and this will be the time when they will allow you to go to the library. Um, but then, like, uh, the world didn't change, and we had a world who will not allow anyone to go to the library. Then, for the last three months, we were not even allowed to leave ourselves. Uh, so the only way, for example, to get books from the library is like you will ask. They will let only the older guys, the elder people, to have like a one hour break. So they will go out of the sun and walk and <laughs> at the prison hall. Sometimes they will open the library for them. So it's like you will ask the elder people like to bring you a book or something from the library. So. So yeah, this was the situation with our library and the prison. I was also, I, I love that the short anecdote about Dostoevsky and how um, one of the fellow prisoners had found him to be such a card, like uh, so hilarious, which Dostoevsky is funny. There, there are, you know, these larger than life clown characters and how it brought you to sort of re-see some literature. Did it... Uh, did it change the way you read at all to to talk with people about books in different ways? Yeah, for sure. It, this was like the huge experience, um, and and this was like the main reason that make me writing brutal evidence the way it is, because um, since you have to understand, like since I was like nineteen years old, uh, I was training at Akbar Al Atletico News. So since I was 19 years old, I was part of like literature society and, uh, and culture society in Asia. And I was always surrounded by writers, poets, artists. Um, and you grow up inside this uh, low society, or slow, this, this society, until I entered the prison. And you entered the prison and I was in a cell was like more than 60 people at this cell. And more, all of them, or most of them, were reading because there is nothing else to do to kill the time. And some of them, or all, most of them, uh, they will be people who never opened the book before entering the prison. So finally, I was in a very interesting experience meeting with like, the normal reader, the regular reader, you know, and which, like, I never interact with them before. So it was very interesting to see how, like, they, they read the books 
and what is their opinion, what they get out of it, what kind of novel they like, what kind of novel they don't like. And as you just you mentioned, like this Fisky uh, uh, story, like for me, I, I love this Fisky, but I never like So he's funny because like when you read this Fisky, there is this aura, culture and literature aura around Dostoevsky. When we talk about Dostoevsky, we always talk about like the psychoanalysis and how he building his character, <laughs> you know, like culture and literature of hatred. Mm. But suddenly you meet this guy and for him, like Dostoevsky was like just a funny guy. He has like a lot of characters who's telling a lot of jokes in his novel. And that's it. <laughs> and it was interesting to see like sometimes I will give some of them some books or some novels just like to wait for, for the reaction. Uh, and it was interesting to see like while I was there, which kind of books that will, 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 will get them interesting and which kind of books that they would not like uh, that much. And it's almost depending on the circulation of the book, you know, like because I will, I will get the book, I will read it, and then give it to another one. And sometimes after like one week or two weeks, you ask about this book and they will tell you like it's with another element, another prisoner at the other cell, for example. So if the book traveled around the prison from cell to cell, that's mean it's like fucking super good book. If, if it just like been after like one week, it is a return it back to you. It's mean like, okay, it, it didn't work. Uh, and I remember, for example, one of the books that all of them loved, like it traveled to all soul, which was very interesting and weird for me. It was Yusuf Racha novel, Pablo, Paulo. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I was surprised. I I was shocked. Like like uh, the book returned to me after like two months, two months, and it was like totally renewed. Like it, it's been reading. And um, and for me, like yeah, I love this novel and nice, but like it's so it's so complicated in how it's been written. It's it's um, it's uh, not liner. It's uh, the timeline. He's jumping through the timeline. It's it's Yusuf Racha, like you know, like kind of collage style. So it's not an easy read, like a short novel, but it's not an easy read. But for them, all of this didn't bother them. And uh, the reason, actually, all of this was like the reason that they loved it. They loved it because it uh, it's a fast, like the rhythm in it, it's fast. He's jumping from like story to story, from scene to scene, so fast, so they don't feel bored. And because, for most of them, because it was talking about reality. Uh, and, and I was curious about this because, yeah, the novel is... is is covering a lot of what happened in the revolution, but like all in like fantasy atmosphere. And I was like, what do you mean by reality? And they were like, yeah, what he's talking about the novel, it's it's the reality, it's what happened. And I discovered when I talked with, with more of them that most of them, they dealt with the novel as it's like a book, uh, a historical book about what happened in the revolution. And this was one of the reasons why they got more and more interested uh, on it. The other writer that also was bestseller, 
and the novel after Yusuf Raqqa, it was, of course, uh, Haruki Murakami. Yeah, I definitely see that. I was particularly embarrassed and not at all surprised when you mentioned that uh, there were foreign embassies also that that sent book deliveries now and then, and that I think the Brits had like a really nice selection and the Americans sent like terrible. Yeah, the Brits don't even have a nice collection. The British, I discovered that the British had like this um, eight pages magazine, 16 pages, small magazine, that is designed and written by the British State Department for British prisoners uh, all over the world. Like, basically, this guy, this British guy was us when he will receive, like, a visit from his embassy. He will come up with a lot of food, maybe a small amount of money, and some books. And this, like, magazine that's supposed to... to to inform him about what is happening in the Great Britain. And you open the magazine and you see, like, what's happening at the Prime League, what is the last uh, dress that the Queen wore, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Important things that you need to stay abreast of, really. Yeah, especially if you are a British guy belonging, you know, like, to to the British Empire. (laughs) You see, And on the other hand, American was dealing with it like you could you could feel how how they were bored. Like I remember one day both of them came, and uh, they give like the British guy an organic cornflakes packet, okay. <laughs> and and the American they 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 didn't even like bring him food. Like they bring him like money to buy food from inside the prison. And of course, like the books, like you, you could feel there is there is an effort in choosing the book for the British guy, but like for the American guy, it's like an old book being printed in seventies and eighties, more like uh, a cliche romantic novels or 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 uh, or a spy or thrill novel from seventies and eighties. For shame. <laughs> no, I I mean, I, I, if 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 I was given the job to take people books in prison i would take it really seriously i would spend some time trying to give them some good choices i'm sure both of you would too you wouldn't just give them a pile of you know you wouldn't not care if if there was anything good in there one of the things you you talked about also probably in the same talk that uh, ursula is mentioning was about your imaginary reader and how that has shifted somewhat so that you used to imagine a you know an Egyptian imaginary reader reading your your work and that now it, you know your imaginary reader has become more fluid did you do you ever imagine your cellmates reading your work no this this didn't happen while I was in the prison this is like another something it's it's what I'm facing now um I have been here for uh, like next August it will be three years and it looked like I'm going to continue staying here or I don't know maybe like they will not give me also they will not give me the green card and I will we will have to look for another country to move on Uh, but anyway so I'm I'm in this situation as an exile writer and uh, suddenly everything uh, uh, with with your relation with writing and uh, and your purpose for life and 
what you should or what you plan to do is it changing and it's in, in, in a fluid I'm in a fluid situation now like you start to question things like if I'm staying here do I will continue writing in Arabic what does it mean to, to be like living in, in Las Vegas and continue writing in Arabic do I move to English and how to make this move um, I started for example taking several classes for non-fiction writing in English um, start to write lately in English but still it's, it's a lonely it's, it's a long journey and a long trip to move from language to language now my writing is really sucks a process of writing it's not enjoyable at all because uh, writing writing in literature in, in, in a foreign language is like writing writing uh, a love letter using the dictionary you know uh, so so you have this question but on the other hand yeah I'm in the process of writing of, of like practicing writing in English but I'm not sure like uh, we applied for the green card twice and for for in, in, in the two times they they declined our petition so now we are applying for the third and last time if they decline our petition that's mean we have to move to another place and now again you start to question well what does it mean if if i'm not sure next year where i will be um, should i change my language so should i continue doing what i am doing uh, and of course now when I'm writing, because sometimes I'll be writing in Arabic, uh, but the piece or what I'm writing will be published in English, or I will be writing in Arabic, but without, like, I will, I will I'll be surprised that in my mind I'm writing a sentence and thinking about how it will be translated into English. Because suddenly you start to to think in another imaginary readers who are not Arabic or Egyptian, but could be like American, could be an English reader who read like a translated work or, or whatever. It's um, it's also related because like moving here, starting moving here step by step, I, I started to understand how the publishing industry and uh, and the culture society is running here um, and it's so different uh, comparing to, to the Arabic nature uh, society uh, I would say like there is a lot of money here it's like an industry that uh, contain like a lot of billion of dollars and on the other hand there is like the questions of identity which is like so basic here uh, your color, your 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 background, your religion. Uh, like I, I was surprised when I arrived here. Like how 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 it's easy and, and not a big deal. Like people will come and ask you uh, about your religion, or or, or or dealing with you as as um, your name is Ahmed, so you are Muslim. Okay, and and of course here in the United States, this all of this identity labels is you can't deny it. You can just get no. I don't like your game. I can't be labeled. I can't be classified. 
if if you did this, you would be kicked out of the whole society because the whole society is building an identity label. Your identity label is your key to open opportunity for you. You will apply for workshop or even like sending your book for a publisher, and the publisher could reply with you saying this like, "We only interested in brown writers," for example. So you can't just go out and say, "No, I'm not brown. I don't understand your brown thing." Uh, you have you have to adapt, and all you have to adapt and, and to discover your your new identity. Every day here, I discover a new label. You know, like brown Arab Muslim uh, father, that become identity also. <laughs> and now for a quick word from this episode's sponsor. Lockwood Press is pleased to announce the appearance of Kareem James Abouzaid's The Poetics of Adonis and Yves Bonnefoy, Poetry as Spiritual Practice. Through close readings of key moments in the poetry of Bonnefoy, the leading French poet of the second half of the 20th century, and of Adonis, the preeminent Arab poet, Abouzaid illustrates how both writers, in their own unique ways, construct poetry as a form of spiritual practice. Poetry becomes a way of transforming the poets and the readers' ontological, perceptual, and creative relationships with their inner and external worlds. Sustained studies of Adonis are few and far between. Those comparing Adonis to other poets, rarer still. Lockwood Press is delighted to make available this important and groundbreaking study. And now back to our show. Yeah, yeah. So I was saying, like, it's identity about being bare, and and you can't refuse it because it's it's a key for everything. So I'm in the process of adapting and discovering the new identities that I've been collecting or giving. Um, and this, of course, like changing your perspective towards what you're writing, your imaginary reader, and so on and so on. But do you, I mean, you've you've adopted it pretty well. I, this you wrote a pretty funny piece recently on the Tanta Museum of White History, which I imagined, uh, you know, would fight quite funny for for a U.S. audience. Uh, you know, just to sort of quote from it briefly, the museum will shed new light on the great ideas produced by white minds of the past, such as the Catholic Church, the U.S. Constitution. The successful imprisonment of the left of left wing thought in university humanities departments, high yeah, interest loans, yeah, and other landmarks yeah. of white it's, creativity. It's, it's like the whole text was, was another way to understand it, because like you know how this text uh, got like it was the tenth anniversary of of the revolution, and I already started to receive a lot like of requests for write something about the review, uh, uh, revolution and. All right and tell us why the revolution from and I was like, guys, it's been ten years and I'm writing this same article every year. Like I could write it down to you in like thirty minutes now, and you would be happy, and I would be happy, and everyone would be happy. But let's try something new. Um, your publication is 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 for like a German or for a reader, so let's let's try something different. Let's try to imagine. If the history didn't fall, if the history won, how would be the future? So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm trying to adapt, but like there is still a lot of, of things to be learned, and also I am afraid of adapting 
of the adaptation process to become like stereotypes, you know, like you come here and you see like other writers mm. from Egypt or Middle East, really, and um, it's easy to give American audience and white people what they need to see. Uh, like we know like some writers here, for example, and they will be, yeah, it's a revolution. I am a revolutionary now. And she will write a book about the revolution. Ten years after, there will be like a wave of Me Too. She will write a book about Me Too. You see, like it's easy to follow the trend and, and, and to work on it as an adaptation. But this is not like the adaptation that I'm looking for. Uh, the adaptation that I'm looking for is, I wish it would be more deep, more profound for me. It's it's a way of um, of more like learning and, and discovering the new society and the new culture that I am in, uh, and 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 to found a position and to create something that is not only entertain or gives them what they want to say, what they want to see, but like to challenge also like their stereotypes and there is their perspective. And also it's questions of building um, your community. Uh, America is not a one thing. Uh, and um, and you must be careful to choose like your audience, your American audience and audience that you want to interact and exchange ideas with them. I mean, I think also what you're describing, which is partly, I mean, there's so many things and very interesting things that you brought up in terms of language and identity and audience, but what you're describing in terms of withstanding the pressure to like meet expectations, meet market expectations, like follow trends. I would guess that that's something that like every writer struggles with in terms of also just trying to like find their own true deep inspiration, right? Like their real voice to not do the easy thing, to not just kind of fall into the ambient uh, fads. Um, And then maybe it's, magnified for you because you have almost more choices uh maybe like too many choices or directions that you can that you can go in um i mean i think in terms of language of course there's a lot of writers that have found themselves in your position and have either gone on writing in a language in their mother tongue even though they went and lived somewhere else uh, for the rest of their lives or have gone into another language incredible as that seems. I mean, that seems really daunting. Uh, I, I, I imagine it must be hard to, in terms of place, because I think of so much writing is driven by place and your relationship to a place. Like a lot of the writing that I love is, and uh, certainly using life was driven so much by your relationship to Cairo. And um, like, I imagine that that's, I don't know, is, is Las Vegas, you know, an, a, a, it's probably a pretty interesting environment too, but I think it takes time to kind of get into that relationship with the place where, where it can actually feed into your yeah, writing. Yeah, but 
you you are right, but as an, as as I insist, I'm trying to tell you that uh, I think I I still I still need to 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 learn a lot of things and to know a lot of things, um, and I'm in this process. And the other question is future question. I'm here yet for three years, but I'm not sure if I'm going to be here for another year. So you also could go with all this hustle and all this thinking, but like, oh my God, they could refuse my our green card, and we could found ourselves like forced to go to Quebec, Canada, France, Canada, or New Zealand, or 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 any Gulf state. Like I, I really don't know about the what is where we will be in the future, and um, and this also affects your plan and make you always in like situation of um, of doubts and also I have to say that this this could be very weird but like this is what I feel always here I feel that the censorship and the authority here is more powerful and more strong and, and part of the system and sometimes this is like make me afraid of seeing a lot of things so that's why like I keep telling you like there is a there is a lot that I still need to learn. Because where I came from, when you stand up as a writer against the mainstream's ideas uh, and against conservative ideas, you would be separate. Yeah, you could you could be sent to the prison, you could even be get killed, but you would be celebrated from like the culture entourage and the culture of society as a hero, as a propagator for a new ideas. Uh, but here, yeah, they will, no one, they will not kill you. They will not uh, put you on the prison, but you could be cancelled because a tweet that you tweeted like three or two years, or you will be uh, losing an opportunity for for fellowship or grant or publishing or everything because again, because tweet or something stupid or something misunderstand, or because like you challenge some some mainstream ideas so also here it's not also about questions about like finding yourself and finding your identity because sometimes you will find yourself your identity but uh-uh, i can't i can't tell them that <laughs> sure. I, can't, I can't tell them that I, I, yeah and, i mean and, manufacturing America, manufacturing consent and all that i mean yeah i think there is a very strong strain of conformism in America that is not enforced by the law, but by other mechanisms. Yes, exactly. Which, which like make me think also like in, in other future, like if, if I get green card and have license to work any job, I, my, my dream really is to find like a job that has nothing to do with like literature scene uh, uh, here uh, because it's literally it's it's so hard it's like it's a huge industry and i know like it's a huge industry and because it's a huge industry it puts the writer and 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 the young writer in and especially under a lot of pressure and uh, under a lot of cages uh you you start to like start to notice since i moved here how like most of american writers especially like young literature writers they don't comment or or talk about political stuff, okay? 
like I went to several events and reading and I'll be sitting on the stage with like a queer writers. Hmm? And uh, we'll be discussions of books, which will be like a memoir or, or a novel or, or, or about queer people more. And uh, just like several streets from us, it would be like a Trump people demonstration. But the writer makes sure when he's sitting on this stage and when he's speaking, he doesn't mention or say anything negative about like Republican or conservative or whatever. Because for them, all of those people are not only a reader, an opportunity for income, but also, you know, like if he said something political, it will be take on him and it will make him like lose opportunity, you know, like, oh, I will not, he will lose his opportunity to publish at the New York Times. If you, you know what I mean? So, and, 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 and really like, I'm interacting with many American writers here, and uh, it's f- very rare to find like writers who are bold about like their political or social ideas or spoken about uh, about it. Um, most of them, especially, I'm talking about writers who are writing fiction. Most of them are hiding between behind uh, the humble fiction guy. And I don't blame them. Um, it's it's as you say it, like the system, it's a huge industry and the system is working in a different way. I want to change the subject slightly and ask you, because you're talking about um, the future and imagining the future. And also you mentioned cities in the Gulf. I want to ask you a bit about the other book that you've written that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet. And that I haven't had a chance to read. Um, so could you tell us a bit about this book, which I believe is partly set in an imagined version of this neom city in Saudi Arabia? Yeah, it's 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 novel. It's my uh, my third novel. It's called Anwar Hukrati, Lamada, or Antigers to my room. I didn't invite, and um, it's a love story. Uh, as as usual, like most of my writing is built, my fiction writing is built is built in, in two basic themes: it's love and friendship. So this one is a love story about a woman who is a main character. It's a woman who like got divorced um, uh, and she's in the process of building uh, or f- of finding herself and building a new life. So she entered uh, a rebound uh, a relationship. And um, in her journey to, to, to create... Uh, her, her new self. Um, at the same time, it was like the end of the revolution, like it was 2013. So there was a lot of protest, a lot of violence in the street. Uh, the military, our tank, are taking part or, or what is happening. And uh, uh, the military was taking over the country. And so she and her new lover, they decided to leave Cairo to move for a vacation to Sinai. And but like their their trip take like a weird twist, and uh, they ended up in traveling in time in the future. 
and they ended up uh, to new uh, the great uh, Saudi project. So, so yeah, this is like the main lines for, for the novel. I don't know what to say about well, it. Well, so it's not just Neom, which is already a city of the future. It's it's you've given yourself license to imagine what it's like. How how long from now? Yeah, it's. Third, third, third of it is happening in Cairo in 2013, and the other third is happening in Sinai, and the last third is happening in you. Well, we, I don't, I don't, uh, uh, I don't give numbers about which futures that they are living, but like it's, it's just like new is exist, like as it is now, like so, like literally, like what is happening in you is happening so fast. And it was funny that many things that they wrote and after the novel was published, we discovered that they are doing similar to it in you. Like uh, I mentioned, for example, in the novel, the whole thing is like we discovered that the whole thing is about you. It's just a facade for like uh, a genetic modification experience and genetic labs. Which like we discovered like after I published the novel, suddenly they are now like they will open the city for all uh, genetic uh, labs all over the world who want to do any experience about anything, including human. They are welcome to come and work and have the government support to work at new. Sounds not disturbing and, at all. Uh, Sounds like it's going to go great. <laughs> yeah, they even... The even there is a video <laughs> that I could send it to you that I watched it like literally like three months and there is this Saudi woman who's a doctor and who's like, she's supposed to be the head of um, a new genetic bank. And she's appearing in this video saying like, how in new everything will be, watch it, like even your health. So if you are entering new, if you are working in new, they must have uh, your genetic uh, hood, your, your, your genetic stuff. Like they will have like all the biological data, data about you if you are just working there, like your genetic code, uh, your blood, everything, every details. Um, um, and and of course she doesn't like say it why they they are doing this right. genetic bank, <laughs> new. <laughs> but yeah, so all of this like I wrote about about it kind of and and as science fiction way in the novel and suddenly like oh it's it's happening like my reader or my friends will send me from time time news uh from what they are doing there and uh, yeah it's marvelous that, that is the problem these days is that reality keeps violently overtaking us um i'm guessing i'm guessing they're mm -hmm. also going to have a bunch of those like robots didn't they make they made that one female robot a citizen. I'm sure they plan to have a bunch of those. Yeah, like yeah. Just yeah, yeah. The design, the design of the whole city, like basically Google is taking the the technical infrastructure, right? Ah. Uh, and Fox Movie is building um, a studio, a Hollywood cinematic studio, there, by the way. Uh, um, so yeah, he yeah. have. You see, like, there is a new generation of, of Arabic uh, ruler and Arabic kings and presidents. And uh, this new generation is, is very interesting. They have, they have this 
idea about what is developing. And it's built on like, as you said, it's it's been only built on built on images. So they don't care about what is happening in the society and what is the real number about the country. But it's about creating an image, and this image reflect uh, uh, the develop uh, the image of a developing country of a first world country. So and and the model of that is Dubai, for example. So in Dubai, you have a city that looks great, amazing at at, at the camera at the image, um, but the reality of it that this is a city that doesn't produce anything, that so its economic is so fragile that she literally is living on aids and support from other. Uh, Emirati states. And this model being copied, uh, copied uh, all over Arabic countries now. We are seeing it in Egypt with the new capital that they are building, and we are seeing it in the funny things about that, that they are building these cities not to serve uh, uh, the local people, not even to reflect the local people uh, ideas and identity, but to give the Western audience uh, the image that they would love to see. Um, and, and this very interesting approach, because it's also opened the gate for, for Western companies and international companies to come and play rules uh, to design these cities as like, as you, as you say, New, for example, it's supposed to be a city or a place that doesn't rule by the Saudis' laws. It will be served, and everything in it will be designed to serve big companies and big corporations. And um, it's a frightening like, to imagine a future without the national state or where like, the national state will cut part of it and give it and design it to be attracted to, to Western and big companies so they could move and work there freely. But so if, if you don't mind me asking kind of a simple question, so what attracted you to the subject? Is it because you've, is it because is this something you find frightening or something that angers you or something that just interests you? Have you spent time in these cities? What, like what drew you to writing about it? Because it's, it's the end of the past of my youth. Uh, my my generation and, and and my youth like we have been born during this like war time of like all the like King Abdullah in Saudi Arabia or Hosni Mubarak and all this like old people who are their mind belong to Sikistis in the seventies and then we had the dreams of changing all of this revolution and like all the revolutions the all revolutions the revolution fell. And you see the path, the ending path, uh, is ending towards this. It's like you will be exiled, you go out, or you will be in the prison, or you join us. Us by us, I mean like the, this new king, this new Arab ruler. You join us in our vision of of the future. And uh, this is the only option that you got now as an. Um, Arabic young people and I started to see like yeah I have friends who are in the prison I have friends who are in exile 
But I have friends also who like decided to join the stream, the power and the authority stream and to work with CC and to work with the government. And it's getting complicated more with the Saudi situation. Because the Saudi situation, you have uh, an, a dictator or a killer or a soul ruler. And, uh, and you know he's a criminal and you know he's a dictator. But on the other hand, as a young kid, as a young girl, oh, he give you the right to drive your car. He's supporting your idea if if you want to do anything. Like you just you just you just look at like the spending and what like the, the Saudi is doing in, in art and literature field in the last five years, for example. They are supporting the writers. Uh, they are building all like this literature, they are supporting Saudi publishing uh, industry. Uh, and, and and they are supporting you. So you have a question as a writer, why I stand against the guy? So it's a question, and, and this is this, this is a question that Farah, the main character in novel, is facing. Because she's like, okay, I lost my wife, the revolution lost. Maybe we were the wrong, we were in the wrong side. So she, she decided to work with the prince. She decided to work with the king and even to have um, his hire, his son. You see? So the novel is not like propaganda about like, oh, how the revolution was great. No, actually the whole novel is about how the revolution sucks and how it's so bad and so bored and full of shitty and lies. But the truth and the reality and the future is at the new. Well, I can't wait to read it. It's it, it'll, it'll take me a little bit because I've gotten slower at reading in Arabic than I than I used to be when I lived in Cairo. But um... <laughs> take your time, and uh, and and the good news, the good news. So for the last two weeks, I have been working with Malika Warren. She's a British filmmaker who's living in New York, and she read using life. And then she was with me while like I was editing. Uh, the tiger uh, to my room and she got interested in the two books two projects um, she wanted to do a film about them we were dealing with it as like kind of independent film but suddenly last year you know like everything is changing in the cinema mm-hmm. industry because like the pandemic so suddenly we have a production and suddenly uh, last month I signed an official contract deal with a production company so they now own like the movie rights for the two books using life and tigers to my room and uh, there been there is a project malika now is working with a script writer uh said faruki a british script writer and uh, they are working on kind of dq drama experimental science fiction futuristic movie built on uh, tigers to my room and using life Wow, that's fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Well, uh, I th- I think, w- I, I mean, I have a bunch more questions, but I think that we've taken up, uh, that we'll need to wrap things up now, um, and that we'll go out on a reading uh, from Tigers to My Room. Right. This one This one will be in, in Arabic for, uh, here at the, at the end of the episode. Um, and for for our for our listeners who who understand Arabic and the rest of you can just enjoy the melodious sound of Ahmed's voice. 
And um, <laughs> Ahmed, really, thank you so much. This was delightful conversation. Thank you. Tomorrow, it's, it's like late for me and I've had a long day I and I really, really enjoyed this though. So much. Thank you. Thank you. I wish I, I didn't uh, keep you uh, up late. No, 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 no. It's no, it's not late. I'm just, uh, I'm just, I'm just old now. I'm just get tired. <laughs> no, but we have such a time difference. I think this is the biggest yeah. time difference we've ever covered in an episode with a guest between us. Thank you. All right. And uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Um, goodbye to you both. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> ودوي الرصاص يعلو انفجر الزجاج الخلفي للسيارة وسقط عليها صرخ السائق في هستيريا ثم رأته يفتح الباب ويطرق السيارة هاربا حافظت على هدوءها ولفت الشال الذي تحمله معها حول فمها وأنفها دهمتها رائحة قنابل الغاز فتحت باب السيارة وخرجت منها فوجدت نفسها على رصيف المشافة وقالكوبري الذي تحول إلى ساحة معركة وتحته في النيل تسير المراكب النيلية مشعة بالأضواء وتنبعث منها موسيقى المهرجانات وسط دخان القنابل شاهدت مجموعة من الفتيات والفتيان يرقصون في مرح وحب في مركب صاخب بالضوء والموسيقى تمنت لو كانت معهم لكنها كانت على الكبري عالقة بين مظاهرتين متضادتين بدأ الطرفان في تبادل إطلاق النار أحنت رأسها وتقدمت مخترقة السيارات المتوقفة مكانها لكن ما إن تجاوزت سيارتين حتى شاهدت شابا لم تنبت لحيته بعد يحمل ما يشبه البندقية الخرطوش المصنعة يدويا كان مختبئا بين السيارات متكورا على نفسه وبندقيته استغرق الأمر لحظات لترسم مسارا تبتعد فيه عنه لكن شاهدت الشاب ينتصب قائما وهو يصرخ إما النصر أو الشهادة يا ولد الكلب يا ولد الكلب النصر أو الشهادة بوم سقط أمامها مباشرة تابست فرح مكانها لم يموت الولد بل سقط على جانبه وتعلقت عيناه بعيني فرح والدم ينزف من صدره وركبته ويخور كعجل مسبوح عاجزا عن النطق عاجزا عن التنفس يختنق في دمائه شعرت فرح بالحموضة ترتفع من معدتها وتكاد تطرش ما أكلته لكنها وضعت يدها على فمها لبثت في مكانها ونظمت تنفسها حتى لا تتقيق هدأ صوت ضرب النار وبدأت بعض السيارات على الكبري تتحرك احتاجت فرح لدقائق حتى تجاوز الصدمة بندقية الفالتة تستلقي بجواره وعيناه تستغيثان بفحوية مصر.